This episode of Bend the Knee is brought to you by Lord Jason of House Ross, Sir Jared of House Blackfire, Lady Amanda of House Richardson, Lord Adam the Young Bull of House Parker, Sir Peter of House Whittingham, the Ghost of Harrenhal, Lord Nelson of the Long Isle, the Mother of Cats, Sir Joshua of House Ross, Lady Kendall of House Taylor, Lady Liz of House Hendricks, Hand to the Hand, Sid Say, Asback of Day Eleven in the Light of the Eleven, Lord Hunter the Foulmouthed, Captain of the Guard, Sir Dustin the Rooster Knight, Captain of the Guard, Sir Ron of House Golson, Captain of the Guard, Lady Amanda, Captain of the Guard, and Lord Robert the Unfrozen of House Butler, Lord Paramount of Skagos Island, Captain of the Guard. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into brand seven of A Game of Thrones. And in the Maester study, we will be discussing the Kings of Winter. But before mm-hmm. we get to all of that, uh, let's meet one of our, some of our, our, our bannermen, our patrons. Uh, we think it's kind of time to start featuring more of those. And so Sir Matt has a quick little shout out. Uh, to one of our our members, yeah. Hey, uh, you know one of our one of our longtime listeners, uh, Lady Jade. Uh, she hasn't. She said she's like sorry. I haven't been uh, active in the group uh, lately. Well, it's because she had a baby. So I want to give her <laughs> a shout out to uh, Sir Zachary. I think yes. uh, said he's about nine pounds. Um, so I just want to wish him a happy name day. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, Sir Zachary, welcome. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. your, your your mother's going to be, hopefully, when he's ready, um, you know, the Dunkin' Egg series is there for him, right? So yeah. get, start reading that right away if you can, But because mm-hmm. uh, we're going to need your participation here in the years to come, in the wars yeah. to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's here's the real question. When when he comes of age, so let's, I, you know, I think that the 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 hedge knight series you know yeah. the duncan egg series i feel like you're, you're probably about ready to read that when you're about like 14 i feel like that's kind of an appropriate age for it like yeah it, it's still it's still not like a kid's book but it's it's like a, a teenage book so let's say 14 years from now do you think girl have the books done by then <laughs> or uh wow i don't know i really don't know this is the prediction of all predictions will wow it by year 14 for Sir Zachary, will that will the whole series be done? I don't think so. And unfortunately, yeah. I don't think George will still be alive. I don't know. <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. He's probably going to outlive me. You know, I got to start. Well, yeah, how old is he? He's in his 70s, right? Yeah, I hope he lives to his, well into his hundreds, quite frankly. Hope we all yeah, do. Well, you know, modern medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's seventy years old. I mean, so sixteen years, so fourteen years from now, yeah, he'd be eighty-four. I mean, that's getting you know, he'll be fine. We'll take care of him up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows people like Melisandre and you know the guys from the Citadel. He said he said in a recent interview that the end of the TV show was a liberation because now he feels like he can do what he he wants. Yeah, good, good. That's what I'm saying. That's awesome. Yeah, get after it. That's cool. Well, I mean, there is another TV show starting up, so. <laughs> Yeah, well, wonder, we'll see what happens then. Yeah, I wonder wonder what's going on there. But uh, Okay, cool. So um, 
we also kind of thought we would start something, you know, just sort of like a, a, a featured patron. Every once in a while, we're not going to do this maybe every week, but uh, from time to time, a couple times a month maybe, we, we will go over uh, and feature one of our patrons. And so uh, Lady Liz of House Hendricks has been has been with us for quite some time uh one of our one of our bannermen often on raven's nest and you know just i, I just felt like it, we wanted to kind of shout some of you guys out here quickly and mm-hmm. and things and read over some of their most recent uh facebook posts in the group or what have you Even if you're not in the group we've got ravens uh we've had ravens from her before so she has a sick by the way uh tattoo this like <laughs> uh that, that she posted the other day like a video of this tattoo that that is like quite awesome it's it's a uh, it's game of thrones in, inspired and and so um she's working on let's see house martell right is the next little thing to be added there so that's pretty cool uh she has a her own dire wolf her own personal dire wolf 120 pounds three-fourths uh german shepherd one-fourth husky uh pretty pretty sick i would not cross him so but yeah she's keeping us up to date on this tattoo which is uh absolutely sick and she's often in the discord server uh whether if she's not been on the episode then she's been in the discord server kind of giving us comments and and giving us some theories and stuff there so uh shout out to her just a huge you know member and uh i mean really important member vital to the to, to the group and just i don't know i just felt like uh wanted to give her a shout out and and you know next week we'll we'll feature somebody else but uh because you guys deserve it, man. I mean, it's like this this podcast would not run without you guys. It's like Raven's Nest is so cool, and it's it's so much better to hear from you guys. We have a raven at the end of the show, by the way, that's going to blow your guys' minds. Um, So, you know, we'll save that. But, I mean, like some of the stuff that we get, Sir Matt, is just unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah, and the raven we have at the end of the show, it's uh, an amazing creation that um – I, the, the amount of time that it would have taken to put together is uh, crazy because <laughs> yeah. it requires reading the entire series right. and paying attention, so it's it's going to be cool. Right. Yep. Yep, pretty awesome. So, All right, and then also with that, I, as I said before, every once in a while, we're going to give a shout-out to our Sworn Swords. Um, so uh, here we go. To our Sworn Swords, we thank you. Sir Anonymous of House Anonymous, Sir Austin of House Jeffords, Lady Cloy of House Swain, Lady Denisha of House O'Brien, Lady Dawn of House Watson, Lady Hannah of House Farmer, Sir Jake of House Jacobson, Sir James of House Nutter, Sir Jeffrey of House Wilson, Lady Jessica, Sir John, Sir Matt of House Zinc, Sir Ralph the Dornish Wolf, Sir Samuel of House Wakefield, Sir Sarah of House Thompson, Sir Sean of House Brunos, Sir Joe the Grackle Knight, Sir Stephen of House Vilken, Sir William of House Lombard. All right, my friend, okay. on to the small council. How you doing? Hey, man, I'm good. You know, I'm um, just, I feel like I, I'm just running a thousand, you know, thousand miles an hour. Yeah. Just, yeah, just gear, gearing up, getting every, we're getting, as we get closer to a class of, a clash of kings, uh, there's just a lot of uh, things that we, Sir Ezra and I keep teasing it, stuff we want, we're talking about. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes um, yep. and just getting it all, getting it all ready. Yeah, it's a task and a half. I mean, we, we, we keep kind of perfecting the show, trying to uh, take your guys' feedback and make it better. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of work to be done. Also, it's a crazy time for Clash of Kings to be starting because, um, you know, you had had a couple transitions in your job earlier in the summer, you know, just some things you were working on. And then now I'm, I'm about mm-hmm. to start. I just started actually last week back up to teaching. So 
Lord, I have a lot of things uh, to get <laughs> done. Seven hells, my friends. It's just uh, a little bit crazy around here. So uh, if we don't get back to you right away, that's probably what's going on. Is we're just I'm I'm starting into the school year and we're we're uh, trying to do some things behind the scenes to make the podcast better. So, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, the kind of um, for those of you guys who are in the Night's Watch tier and above. Um, that reward is coming. We just recently decided to kind of add one more thing to it, so we're just kind of uh, getting that piece together. Uh, it's going to take a couple of days, and then those are going to be sent out here shortly. So, yep, you know, just trying to take care of you guys. Yeah, for sure. And, and another thing we kind of thought we would do is, you know, adding in the featured shout out. I mean, just because it's mm-hmm. something simple we can do, get to know you guys. Um, a lot of times, organically, I was telling Sir Matt, it just happens throughout the show. Uh, we'll get something from. You know, our captain of the guards. We're, we're actually we have a segment now dedicated to the captain's report because uh, those guys are in the Facebook group, and and I can just search them, and I can I can pull up a, a survey or a poll that they did, and it's kind of a neat it's the evolution of the show, if you will. So uh, trying to find ways just to give it back to you guys, and we've we've said since the beginning we want you to be able to influence the show, influence us, and and help make it better. So it is what we, it is what we all make it, if you will. So yeah, all right. Awesome. So any other, well, this is important. Okay. The most important part of the show is that you guys go follow us on social media. Okay. Cause it affects, it affects my self concept and my, so my, and my self esteem. Okay. If I don't, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But seriously, you should go follow us. Um, the, over there on on the Twitter verse, you can follow, uh, Sir Matt there at super gains bros. You can follow myself at Wompret underscore to him. That works for Instagram as well. Sweet. Um, so yeah, cool. All right. Uh, any other channel updates, anything else going on, sir, Matt? No, I don't think so. Okay. All right, then moving on to the captain's report. So Lord Robert, the unfrozen of house Butler, uh, is added again. Actually, there's a really, a cool poll that we're working on right now, but last week's poll was who is Varys truly? Uh, and the top results for that were a black fire, uh, a common Lysine thief, bright flame, uh, or a faceless man. So, kind of interesting just to, to, to get a pulse on the group as to what everyone is, is thinking uh, or, or who they think Varys truly is. Uh, he's, he's a bit of a mystery man, right? He's, he's um, kind of a man of many disguises, maybe. maybe. I, think he's, I, I, think, I, think, I think he is just a commoner. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just really good with his network. He's just really well mm-hmm. informed. I think he's... I think he's uh, just like the opposite of Littlefinger. Like they're both like the same mm-hmm. type of a thing. Yeah. It's cool to think that they, that there is more to it. And, and that is what George does in his, his writing is make us think like, well, we were just talking last night. We had done our musing uh, for this month in, in regards to Rhaegar and the blue roses and stuff. And whether it was it prophecy, was it love? Was it a political maneuver? Why did he crown Lyanna Stark? the queen of love and beauty and it's like i i want to think there's more to it i want to think it's something epic but sometimes it's just it's just really normal and mundane and there's really mm-hmm. not a whole lot to it so i don't know i yeah just that's how he writes that's what he makes us think and that's that's why we have these polls <laughs> mm-hmm. so anyways cool beans there um another let's see coming up this week i think this poll is about to end so we'll get to it maybe next week where is it? Oh, okay. So Quaith uh, warns Danny about the perfume Seneschal, 
right? So, so the question is, who is that? And we got a couple options there, so we'll go over that next week. But that's a, that's a great one, uh, Quaith, bringing bringing Quaith back into the equation. <laughs> so, all right, that's it for the captain's report. Um, the Maester study is this is cool. I mean, Sir Matt's got something for us today in the Maester study. Yeah, it's it's a it's a little piece from the chapter here when I was taking notes. Uh, just caught my eye, and it's not something I really thought. I mean it. It does allude to something we do see in the books much later, mm-hmm. um, but it's really something where it's like, wow, after watching season eight, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, this chat this week, we're talking about Bran. Uh, and so this is the basically this is the chapter where Bran finds out that Ned Stark dies. But um, at the beginning of the chapter, he is sitting and he's watching these knights. Well, then uh, he's watching people in the yard fight with with Sir Roderick. Yeah. And so he's talking to um, he, uh, he, oh God, uh, Maester Lewin. Yeah. And he says, you know, there was there was a knight once who couldn't see. Bran said stubbornly as Sir Roderick went on below. Old Nan told me about him. He had a long staff with blades at both ends, and he could spin it in his hands and chop two men at once. Simeon star eyes, Lewin said as he marked numbers in a books. When he lost his eyes, he put star sapphires in the empty sockets or so the singers claim. But that is uh, that is only a story like the tales of Florian the Fool, a fable from the Age of Heroes, the Maester tisked. You must put these dreams aside. They will only break your heart. Mm. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Because... Right. <laughs> You know, a a somebody who was blind. Um, Come on, you know, and then and then somebody who uses a a staff with blades at the end. Uh huh. I don't know. I'm just saying, it sounds an awful lot like somebody we see in season eight. Yep. So. Yep. I mean, now Arya isn't blind when she has the staff with blades at the end, but obviously she is blind, and she fights, you know, the waif with the with the staff. That's right. There, and that's how she learns how to do it. So, um, it's just cool. Yeah, it's uh, Simeon Star Eyes is mentioned in all of the books. That includes the United Seven Kingdoms, World of Ice and Fire. Um, I don't know if he is mentioned in Fire and Blood. I I don't think that the A Song of Ice and Fire wiki has mm-hmm. really been updated fully yet with all of the stuff that's in Fire and Blood. But sure. it, so it's it's probably it's possible. Yeah. Um. But so uh, any regardless. Um, he's mentioned in everything. Maybe somebody we see in the prequels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was thinking that too. So they they actually said Age of Heroes. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's that would be kind of cool to meet this character. So yeah, um, and it's neat. You know, once was blind, right? Arya was was blind, and and now and you know using the staff, and then she it has Gendry build that for her. It's just that's it's cool. I I did not put that two and two together there. I did. I was just like, oh, it's a cool weapon. She she learned how to use it or whatever. But then there's a connection to this legendary character. You you, you had said it's kind of like she gets to live out, you know, this this um, I don't know this this dream of because uh, right. I mean, it, her ending is almost like Nymeria, right? Yeah, With her sailing off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of her all the heroes that that they loved and kind of revered or whatever. She kind of embodies that. Uh, yeah. For us, so pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Now. Also in the Maester study, just because we don't spend a lot of time on this in the chapter, I thought I would pull out some of these Kings of Winter. Uh, it happens, a whole paragraph is dedicated to just listing these kings, 
And so I'm going to pull these up in order and just kind of read from the wiki real quickly uh, about these characters. So at, at some point in the chapter, Bran and uh, Mr. Lewin, uh, Asha, and, uh, oh yeah, and, and, and Summer go down into the crypts. And as they're down in there, Mr. Lewin asks Bran to kind of recite the histories and to, to identify each of these, these old kings of winter. And, and he does. And the first one he mentions is John Stark. Uh, who was a king in the north. Now remember, that it starts off as he goes down through the, the, the crypts. We'll get to the, to the description of it, but these were kings in the north. And then later on, they, you'll see that they start to turn to, to lords. Um, some of the older kings and ancient kings are in the levels below, I would say. Uh, but John, John Stark was a king in the north, uh, head of House Stark, before the War of Conquest. All right, There's a statue of him down in, in the crypts. Uh, the history on him is that when... Sea Raiders landed in the east. John drove them out and built a castle, the Wolf's Den, which we've talked a little bit about, right, and, and, and what it is now. Now it's kind of a, it's a prison, I believe, right? It's a place where Davos ends up later, um, mm-hmm. and there's like hidden little passages connecting it to um, House Manderley. But yeah, it's down there. It's at the mouth of the White Knife, and... Uh, that's where we'll see House Manderley later on. But, yeah, it's, it's just a little neat connection there that he built that. He was able to defend the mouth of the river. Um, yeah. And then the next uh, uh, king we see, his son, Rickard, followed him on the throne and actually is able to kind of win, um, gain the neck and, and add it to the north, if you will. So uh, he took the neck away from the Marsh King and took his daughter as wife. So that's, that's what we get from him. He is also known as the Laughing Wolf for his good nature. So that's pretty cool. Uh, next up is Theon Stark, who is known as the Hungry Wolf. He's described as like very thin, kind of wiry, right? Um, and he he's he's constantly in a state of war. So it's kind of why he was known as the Hungry Wolf. Um, he's there during the Andal invasion, which pretty cool. About I was just reading up on on when the the Andal influence. We get it at the end of this chapter that the North was the only kingdom. Uh, to not basically be defeated by the Andals and and convert over to the Seven, and so I'm guessing during that time is is Theon Stark. He's there uh, defeating the Andals and, and the various warlords that had showed up. Um, yeah, he later on conquers the Three Sisters in the Bite, uh, landed an army on the Fingers. So he's he's just constantly at war. Uh, pretty cool character. We can go into uh, more more on him later. He's mentioned also again later on in the Dance of Dragons. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, Brandon Stark, uh, the shipwright. So Brandon the shipwright uh, is the next king that we see there, and he basically um, is he the one where his grave is empty? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was he was known as Brandon the shipwright due to his love of the sea. Thousands of years before Aegon's conquest, King Brandon attempted to sail across the Sunset Sea, but was never seen again. So Arya, we know at the end of season eight, will. We'll kind of do the same thing. What's west of Westeros? Uh, that's nobody that's, knows. No one really knows. We've never had anybody come back and tell us like, oh, it's actually just the the far east. It's just the other side of of Essos. You know, it's um, uh, the Shadowlands or whatever. So, yeah. Um, let's see. It is known that he never visited Ashai. His tomb is in the crypts of Winterfell. Uh, but it is empty. His son burned the remaining ships in his grief and thus is known as King Brandon the Burner. So that's who's up next. And that is really uh, what he is what he is known for. 
Uh, he's referenced later on just in, in reference to um, Lord, Lord Wyman Manderley uh, rebuilding this war fleet. So it's the Starks aren't known for having a bunch of ships and, and things and having a shipyard and stuff. And uh, Wyman, Wyman Manderley decides that's, uh, that's something he's going to offer to, to rob uh, the new king in the north. So pretty cool there. Now moving on, Roderick Stark uh, was a king in the north, head of House Stark, and um, he is. I think I believe he, I believe he's right before Torin Stark, who we know is like the last king in the, in the north. Um, not much is said about him other than that he he basically won Bear Isle, uh, and he takes it from the Ironborn, and he he won it supposedly in a wrestling match. So you know, there's some some maesters questioning the authenticity of that, but Roderick. Uh, Stark is just known for, for taking Bear Isle. Uh, cool. Torin Stark, we get a lot about him as the king who knelt, right? He was the head of House Stark who reigned in, uh, as, as the king of the north until Aegon Targaryen invaded Westeros with his dragon. So during Aegon's conquest, when the Targaryen reign uh, starts, he is the king in the north. And basically he witnesses, Sir Matt and I covered this quite a bit in our, the early days of the podcast, um, he sees everyone else is just getting wasted, right? Just getting wasted. He did mm-hmm. have a plan, though. He had sort of an air quote contingency plan. I believe it was <laughs> was it was it Brandon uh, who was who was carving those um, the weirwood arrows, the weirwood arrows to possibly kill one of the dragons. So that's kind of cool. Little reference to maybe there's something uh, in those that those arrows could be special if they're carved from the wood of a weirwood. Uh, you know, maybe maybe. But he is known as the king who knelt uh, and, and saves. He's restored then as, as lord uh, of, of Winterfell, uh, which, is, which is cool. And there's a lot more to him, but that uh, would be a lot to cover. So essentially he's, he's the last king. Uh, after him, we have uh, mentioned Cragen Stark was the lord of Winterfell, head of House Stark during the reign of Viserys I, Aegon II, Aegon III, and Darren I. Uh, he briefly served as Hand of the King for Aegon uh, Third after the Dance of Dragons. Uh, so we've talked about that a little bit just after the Dance of Dragons. He kind of comes down. Isn't he the one who, isn't that the Hour of the Wolf or something, mm-hmm. Sir Matt? Yep. Yeah, when, when he comes down and sort of um, sits in judgment for a short time and then returns back north. Uh, he uh, later in his life, which is, is which is yeah. really which is really cool, and that yeah. is one area that Fire and Blood uh, gives us like a little more detail as to what actually happens. Because World of Ice and Fire is pretty short; it just says it kind of happened. But Fire and Blood gives us a bigger in depth about that. Yeah. Uh, something neat about him as well. It says that he fought uh, Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, who we know is, I mean, often sung about and is is super famous. And uh, Aemon claimed that he had never faced a finer swordsman. So one of the best swordsmen in the Seven Kingdoms would be Craig and Stark. So, and that's pretty much it. So we then get into sort of like um, um, Brandon Stark, and we get into Lyanna Stark and and uh, um, their their father Rickard Stark, right? But that's we kind of know those characters a little bit, and we'll continue to to discuss them throughout the series, but I thought it was kind of cool. They went back in time and just pulled out some of these major uh, characters. And then George later on, I mean, this book is written first, right? We're in a Game of Thrones. Later on, we'll go on and he expands on all these characters. So all the stuff that I kind of listed off and that we read about, the extra little tidbits were given to us later in A World of Ice and Fire um, or in Fire and Blood uh, or later on in the series. So 
just some some cool little little connections there. But all right, I think that's it. Okay. I think we are ready for okay. the reread. All right. Uh, last week we were uh, looking at taking a look at Aria Five, where Aria is surviving on the streets of King's Landing uh, by hunting pigeons. When she hears the summoning bell, she joins the crowd to watch her father confess his treason. Once the confession was done, King Joffrey demanded his head. Arya attempts to get to him, but Yorn of the Night's Watch stops her. Afterwards, he declares that she is coming with him. Uh, it's been a while since we've been in a Bran chapter. The last time, uh, Bran 6, Bran was watching the Karstarks arrive. Then he went to the Godswood to pray. He is interrupted by Osha, who tells him about the old gods, the old gods and the others. She insists that Rob should march north, not south. Bran uh, passes her advice to Maester Lewin, then Rob marches his army south. So it's been a while since we've been uh, with, with Bran. So Bran 7. Bran and Rickon are having the same dream about seeing their father in the crypts of Winterfell. Maester Lewin takes Bran down to the crypts to show him his father is not there. They find Rickon already there. They go back to the Maester's uh, turret where Lewin tells them about the coming of the First Men, the Treaty with the Children of the Forest, and the coming of the Andals. The Raven arrives with the news of Lord Eddard's death. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's a good chapter, but it's tragic. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so um, as always, I like to read just the first little bit here. The oldest were men grown, 17 and 18, years from the day of their naming. One was past 20, most were younger, 16 or less. Bran watched them from the balcony of Maester Lewin's turret, listening to them grunt and strain and curse as they swing their staves and wooden swords. The yard was alive to the clad of wood, punctured all too often by thwacks and yowls of pain when a blow of struck leather... uh, when a blow struck leather or flesh. Um, so, you know, and then I talked a little bit about um, him watching and that's when we bring up Simeon star eyes. So yeah. the, the chapter kind of starts off and it, it seems actually pretty, I mean, pretty relaxed for, for brand. Although, you know, as readers, we know what just happened in the last chapter. Mm-hmm. And so for brand, it's kind of a, a normal day. They're training um, more men to help, uh, you know, send send south probably to to, to help Garrison Rob, but uh, it doesn't really seem like anything would be terribly terribly wrong. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, sort of a normal day as you say, and 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 we know that uh, tragic news should be arriving. We're kind of surprised, maybe at the start of this chapter that uh, they don't have the news yet, and there's a good reason why George does that because they had news last night, but not in the form. Uh, not in a form that Maester Lewin would accept. Um, or be able to see. Yeah, yeah. And and so what's also neat about this is they do explain that, uh, that yeah, Rob has taken all the men, like, men south with him. And before that, his father took some of their best. So they need men to kind of walk the walls and to sure up Winterfell's defenses, essentially. Like, what if those other men die or they come back wounded? I mean, you have to find the next best and start training some of these young boys uh, to be uh, guardsmen or captain of the guard or uh, man right. the wall, and whatever. You know, and kudos to Maester Lewin because he's a character who I think in the, sh- you know, in the show he seems really, really cool. And even in the books, um, he doesn't stick around all that long, but I mean, he's really quite literally holding the fort down. Yeah. Yes. He yeah, is. I mean, Catelyn's Catelyn's gone South. So it's him with Bran and Rickon. Right. And he's really, you know, helping Bran make all these decisions. You know, a, a young a young boy who's now crippled and 
he's you know things aren't really great for him and then Rickon is really young and so you know Maester Lewin's there just just running the show yeah it yeah and and he's it's his duty his responsibility I mean he could if he were a lesser man like take advantage of it or or maybe get caught up in in this power that he has or whatever but mm-hmm. he just does what's right leads by example and um tries to do his duty and it's just to help run uh winterfell which is a which is a big big deal mm-hmm. so yeah you're right i mean it's yeah i mean like uh here here's a line here from uh you know uh brand looking at these brand staring stared resentful at all the sweating boys below if i still had my legs i could beat them all um you know and so i mean so that's like i mean that's that's a brand side of it um but you know, I mean, it's that's what Maester Lewin's dealing with. He's he's in this really he's in a really tough position here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not just like he's dealing with a boy lord. He's also dealing with one who has a lot of baggage and issues right now, mm-hmm. and and is trying to help him focus on uh, his his studies, his like like his knowledge of history, which is kind of ironic, uh, and <laughs> just with what Bran's training wound up being, and get him to see that he can use his mind. His mind is a tool, and it's it's a it's a it can be a weapon as well that he can use when uh, as as he gets older. So, uh, yeah. Brand Brand keeps trying to figure out ways to make himself still become a knight. He says, "I can ride Hodor, right? He could be my legs, and I could I could cut these guys down." But um, you know, Lewin says that you know the the mind in the uh, has to kind of connect to all the body parts really, and that it's has to has to become one, if you will, and he has to really have complete control. Over, he would need complete control over Hodor's body to be able to do something like that, and there's a bit of foreshadowing in that because we know Bran will later take control of Hodor and does mm-hmm. use him to fight. So that's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then Bran uh, tells him here right after the the Simeon Star Eyes, um, the mention, uh, so you know, a fable from the Age of Heroes. Uh, the Maester, the Maester, you must put all these dreams aside; they will only break your heart. Uh, the mention of dreams reminded him. I dreamed about the crow last night, the one with three eyes. He flew into my bedchamber and told me to come with him, so I did. We went down to the crypts. Father was there, and we talked. Uh, and he said, and, and why was that? Or he was sad. And why was that? Uh, Lewin peered through his tube. It was something to do about John, I think. The dream had been deeply disturbing more than any other any of the other crow dreams. Hodor won't go down into the crypts. Uh, the maester had only been half listening. Bran could tell. He lifted his eyes from the twos, blinking. Hodor won't go down into the crypts. When I woke, I told him to take me down there to see if father was truly there. At first, he didn't know what I was saying, but I got him uh, to the steps by telling him to go <laughs> to go here and to go there. Only then he wouldn't go down. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's something... When a dream like that, I mean, he he literally believed he could walk back down there in the daylight and see, uh, or d- during the day, to see his father. So he wants Hodor to take him down there. Hodor won't go. Uh, later on, we'll see that Summer is not willing to go down there either at first. He stays on the top step for a while until they, they push on in. Uh, but, yeah, this is a, another dream uh, that he has. He, he goes on to say, too, that in the dream, it seemed that his father as you said, was sad, but he's also talking about John. When it's like, what was he discussing? It was John. 
So that was kind of interesting. And the first king we see down there is John Stark. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it, that's referenced. Um, now, we normally get a lot more details about the dreams that he has with the three-eyed crow. And in this one, we really don't. We don't really get like a conversation or a dialogue or or we just get that he was there and he was sad and he was mentioning John. So I kind of wonder, it was that vivid. I'm sure that maybe it's a dream we could refer back to. Maybe some of the last words that Eddard Stark said to his son that, that may come back into play. But we normally just get more. And, I, and I'm, I'm unsure as to why we didn't. If it just he wasn't wasn't remembering it and also Bran as a young boy this was about his father and he just wanted to see him so the details weren't really that important maybe you know the conversation wasn't that something about John he doesn't really know but he just his dad was there he wanted to go see him uh, and you know so he's he's, he's crushed um, to wake up and realize it's just a dream but it's such mm-hmm. a it's a three-eyed crow dream so there must be something to it and he tries to go down into the crypt yeah, you know, I, I like this. I like this line here, um, just because it is a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, you know, the maester tugged at the chain around his neck as he often did when he was uncomfortable. Brand, sweet child, one day Lord Eddard will sit below in the stone beside his father and his father's father, and all the Starks back to the old kings of the north. But that would not be for many years. Gods be good. Your father is a prisoner in Queen of the Queen in King's Landing. You will not find him in the crypts. Uh, which is actually um, true. You know, we even I think I don't even think his bones have made it all the way to the north by at the end of a dance of dragons. Have they? I'm pretty sure they have it. They're still with like the silent sisters or something. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's a bunch of there's speculation, right, as to where they yeah. were. Catelyn kind of comes across them, um, thought they were remember quite small. I mean, just right and looking at them and was sort of like, what? This doesn't feel feel right um yeah so even i mean even though he's dead at this point he still isn't sitting down in in winterfell mm-hmm. yeah yeah what uh what's her name uh goes down there barbary dustin goes down with theon Greyjoy, uh to see eddard's statue and uh is, is trying to you know pay some respects there's also that great conspiracy that's going on during that time as well but uh she's uh let's see she tells Theon that she, if she uh, ever discovers the location of Eddard's bones, she will never mm-hmm. allow them to be buried in the crypts along with his ancestors in revenge for Eddard's failure to return her husband's bones to her. So there's just a quick re- there's speculation as to where are his bones, where are they at, uh, and what's mm-hmm. going on. So there is a statue down there, but his bones just aren't down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. As you say, yeah, he's he's not truly there. Um, mm-hmm. And this is part of what, yeah. what causes people to go wild about, like the idea is that he's still alive, or or uh, somehow the death was faked, or what have you. It's just crazy because we don't get we don't see him. Uh, we know what happened last chapter, and it's all from Arya's point of view. We don't really know from his point of view what ha- what him being taken in chains up there, what he was forced to say, all that kind of stuff. That's just not known to us really it's just we see him there on the stage uh, making his uh, his atonement or whatever making his uh, confession and and then Joffrey you know does him in so yeah 
Um, and so, uh, you know, back back to the chapter here. But Bran and Bran and the Maester are still just kind of arguing about about he's Bran saying, "I I seen him in here. I want you to go look for him." Um, I believe I can solve that. And so, and essentially, they're you know getting ready to to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, even Osha, you know, she's I live my life beyond the wall. A hole in the ground won't fret me none, my lord. So she's the one who ends up taking him down there uh, summer come brand called as he as she lifted him in uh, in her wiry strong arms the dire wolf left his bone and followed as osha carried brand across the yard and down the spiral strips to the cold vault under the earth maester lewin went ahead with the torch brand did not even mind uh, too badly that she carried him in her arms and not on her back sir yeah. roderick had ordered osha's chain struck off since she had served faithfully as well uh, since she's been at winterfell she still wore the heavy iron shackles around her ankles, a sign that she was not yet wholly trusted, but they did not hinder her for her, uh, you know, her strides down the steps. You know, yeah. so Bran says he, he couldn't recall the last time he was down there. It yeah. had been before mm-hmm. for certain. So yeah. certainly before back before when the accident. he could, he, when he could at least still walk down there. Yeah. And you know, two things about that. Something that's interesting is, they, as they start to walk down, there's a great fear in going down here. I mean, Osha's not, uh, or Asha's not, you know, afraid to go down in here, as she said, because she's been up north. But once upon a time, these children would play down there, and it wasn't that, it wasn't a place of great fear. So I think that's interesting, mm-hmm. because now it is. Something's changed. And another thing about Asha is that she, I, I read this somewhere, uh, people were, were speculating on how she got south of the wall i think we've talked about this before uh we, we talked about how mance raider was there at uh king's or he was there when king robert came to see right. eddard and he came with some other possibly maybe he came by himself or he came with other other people um some people speculate that her desertion from him uh happened to be when she was south of the wall with mance perhaps yeah so she may be i closer. would say I, yeah i would say so because that would put her Roughly around the same point in time, mm-hmm. in the same area. Maybe, maybe she right. went into the Wolf's Wood uh, and was was doing her thing, scavenging, hunting, whatever, and then comes across uh, uh, R- R- Rob and 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 Bran. And so, mm-hmm. anyways, I, I wonder. Cool. I, do you think they? Do you think they climbed it? The wall? Do you think Mance Raider climbed it and, and Osha climbed it, or do you think that huh. they know yeah. of a gateway or something? I don't know. I actually think if it's Mance, he may know of of a, of a secret way or be able to to get through the wall, kind of similar to because, how Sam does. Right, because that could also explain the dire wolves being down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean beyond the beyond the whole you know like Blood Raven theory and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it says. I can't remember off the top of my head if it says that he sailed around. Or if it gives us more details on on how he. He got there. Um, people have looked at the timeline and tried to figure out uh, how quickly. It seems like he got there rather quick, and then is back beyond the wall quickly too. So I don't know. There's a lot of different thoughts on that, but I just thought for for Asha, you know, and her her folks. Well, is it hold on? Is it 100% confirmed that he was there? That's the thing. Or is that I thought I thought that was I thought that was part of a theory. Yeah, that that's that's the thing is that people um believe right he I mean he doesn't he say though he's he says that he saw uh John, 
right? And that he 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 um had been there um oh gosh as a as a as a bard or something right yeah i think yeah i think you're right and so he was there playing and and he was able to see um robert i mean i'm pretty i'm just going off of memory i honestly have nothing pulled up so i I can't remember but yeah either way whether he was actually there it was some whether it's a theory or not uh Mm -hmm. you think when i think about asha i think uh that would be a likely way that she right could have been yeah in that spot yeah yeah. Okay. So now we kind of in this chapter we move on to the, uh, the the kings of winter as I as I mentioned. So as they go down into the crypts and and really there's a, a quick description here. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Lord Adam Parker brought this up when we did the whole crypts of Winterfell. Uh, going into season eight, we were talking. We thought it would be a huge deal. We got the promo. We got all this stuff about what a big deal it would be. People were hiding down in the crypts. And it's this vast network. It's longer, I think it says, than uh, like than Winterfell itself. So it kind of covers more ground. Uh, we'll get more on the crypts next book uh, when we when we have to go down there and hide and take swords. So that's interesting. Um, and while we're on that, real quick, just a side note for for anybody who is ahead in Clash of Kings, uh, when they Mickens Mark is something that you guys should look up and 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 his the marking of of his swords. And, and, you know, how that can be a mark that would legitimize Starks. Arius has it. Rickon's sword has it. Uh, different things like that. So, Micken's mark. We'll talk more about that later. But, yeah, as they're, they're going down into this, um, down into the crypts, it says that some are stalked out into the echoing gloom. He stopped, lifted his head, sniffed the chill dead air. He bared his teeth and crept backwards, eyes glowing golden in the light of the maester's torch. Whew. And even even Asha, hard as iron, seemed uncomfortable when before she said, no problem, we'll go down there. So everyone has some sort of like hesitation going into the crypts, but these kids used to play down there. It was, it was no problem. And maybe there's something with that in, in youth, because uh, Rickon is, is still very young. He had no problem going down. He goes down with Shaggy Dog, which is what we're getting to. So maybe there's something there in just that innocence or not knowing not not right knowing what to fear if you will so yeah um they look at the granite stone uh statues though and bran whispered you know they were the kings of winter uh, uh asha says uh winter's got no king no king <laughs> oh really um but uh, mr lewin says yeah they, they were the kings of the north for a thousand years and this is where bran goes through each of them um, oh, but before that, the vault was was uh, this this huge cavernous uh, place. It was longer than Winterfell itself. John had told him once that there were other levels underneath, vaults even deeper and darker, where the older kings were buried. Um, so that's interesting. How how deep does it go? We know that towards the back, there to get to the lower levels, it seems to have been sealed off, and it seems that there's some. Maybe a, a collapse or something that that doesn't allow anyone to go deeper, and I wonder if that's. I wonder if Edard Stark knows something about that, or if it, this was something that was supposed to be passed down from lord to lord. If there's some rumor as to what's beyond that, and wh- who's yeah. the la- who's the last person to have been down there? Yeah, and, no, and, like 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 perhaps a an other, or I mean, Nisa, yeah. Nisa a white bride, stuff. yeah, exactly, the whole deal. 
Yeah, we just, we just don't know. That was everything we were speculating about before season eight, hoping we get some some huge connection to magic and and some you know wards that were keeping a dead army at bay down there. We, you know, it was we had all sorts of crazy theories going on. But uh, yeah, so anyways, you know, we we go over these kings of winter, as I said before, John Stark uh, again, who you know. Uh, who built White Harbor, or who you know, built the castle at White Harbor? Who kind of built the the, the Wolf's Den? Um, his son, then R- Rickard Stark, um, who took the the neck away from the Marsh King, Theon Stark, the Hungry Wolf, who was always at war, warring with the Andals. Brandon the Shipwright, he loved the sea. His tomb is empty. Uh, he tried to sail west across the Sunset Sea and was never seen again. His son Brandon the Burner, because uh, he put the torch to all of his father's ships in grief. And then there's Roderick Stark, who won Bear Isle in a wrestling match. And Torrin Stark, the king who knelt, right? Uh, the first lord of winter. So instead of king in the north, he was the first lord of winter. Yielded to Aegon the Conqueror. And Cregan Stark, who fought Prince Aemon once the Dragon Knight. So there we go. Now, the part, the, the kings there, the statues I didn't mention. Here we go. He says, and then there's my grandfather, Lord Rickard, who was beheaded by the Mad King Ares. His daughter, Lyanna, and his son, Brandon, are in the tombs beside him. Not me, another Brandon, my father's brother. Uh, They're not supposed to have statues. That's only for the lords and the kings. But my father loved them so much that he had them done. Okay. So there we go. And there's some, you know, Asha makes a comment just that she's, that Lyanna's very fair and and looks looks very pretty, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where we get a little little tidbit about uh, the betrothal between her and, and Robert Baratheon. And it says, but Prince Rhaegar carried her off and raped her, Bran explained. Robert fought a war to win her back. He killed Rhaegar on the trident with his hammer, and Lyanna died, and he never got her back at all. And it you know, turns out to be a, a sad a sad tale. But is that the case? That's the question. Is, is, that, really, is that really what happened? Um, there's so much more to that, uh, that story, and that's what we're covering in our, our Patreon series uh, going over. The tourney at Heron Hall, the kidnapping of Liana, which is coming up next month, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about leading into Robert's rebellion, how that really started. Absolutely. So, um, but she says, but those empty holes are sadder. You yeah. Know, Lord Eddard's tomb for when his time comes. Is this where you saw your father in your dream, Bran? Yes. The memory made him shiver. He looked around the vault uneasily. The hairs on his back of his neck bristling. Had he heard a noise? Was there's someone here. Mm. Yeah, and this is where uh, uh, Shaggy Dog shows up. <laughs> Takes a little chunk mm-hmm. out of Maester Luan, right? He he bites him in the arm, and and uh, and, and Shaggy Dog has been having some some issues, right? He's he's actually attacked yeah. a couple a couple folks, and he's supposed to be locked up, but that just doesn't seem seem right. And we know from Catelyn later on that that these Stark children should not be separated from their direwolves. We learn that later. We don't really know that now, but it's it's important that he stay close uh, to his direwolf. And just yeah. sort of like like Rickon, like Shaggy Dog is a little. Uh, they they say he's sort of feral, and that he's um, attack like he like he attacks, and he's just sort of uh, he's kind of nuts, right? He's he's not really he's not tame at all, uh, and it's just because he's he belongs to the youngest of the Stark children. So there's a wildness in him, which is interesting. But 
So yeah, he, he bites, he latches down on, on Maester Lewin, and, and Bran finally is, is yelling for, for Summer, who kind of disappeared into the back there. And here, here comes Summer, jumping up, knocks Shaggy Dog down, knocked him back. The two direwolves rolled over and over in a tangle of gray and black fur, snapping and biting each other, while Maester Lewin struggled to his knees, his arm torn and bloody. Uh, so eventually... Um, Rickon kind of calls Shaggy off, and then Bran calls Summer off, and so we're, we're good. But uh, it was definitely a scary moment, right? Imagine like a scary movie uh, going down there and these direwolves jumping out of nowhere. Holy smokes. <laughs> Scare the daylights out of you, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, especially because there's a freaking direwolf coming at you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so what he says, though, is, you know, you let my father be. You let him. Uh, Rickon, Bran says softly, your father's not here. Yes, he is. I saw him. I saw him last night in your dream. You know, then Rick and nods. Uh, you leave him. You leave him be. He's coming home now like he promised he's coming home. Then mm. it says Brandt had never seen Maester Lewin look so uncertain before. Wow. Yeah, that's the last person they expected down there, and that's also the last thing that they probably expected to hear. I mean, he was just scolding Bran about not, you know, not being able to see his father. His father will be back later. He's a prisoner. He's not coming back. Um, I mean, I, you really wonder what Mr. Lewin thought after this. I wish there was a point of view of him back in his study, sort of rethinking everything he had been taught at the Citadel and wondering, uh, maybe back to his youth, like, is there something to all these stories? Is there something to, uh, these dreams and what's happening here in the, in the North with the old gods and the, and the Starks? I just, it'd be kind of cool to, to see that, to get that point of view. But, uh, yeah, he, instead he kind of scolds him. Here just saying, as we said, that that, that dog is a beast or that direwolf is a beast. Uh, he's supposed to be chained up in the kennels. Um, <laughs> you know, R- Rickon's not going to have any of that. He let him loose. He doesn't like yeah. chains. <laughs> Very simply, who'd, who would? <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, Bran's trying to comfort his brother a little bit. And uh, they talk about how dark it is and how cold it is. Um, I'm not afraid. I have to wait for father. You can wait with me, Bran said. We'll wait together, you and me and our wolves. Both the direwolves were licking wounds now uh, and, and would bear um, close watching, right? Uh, yeah. So it takes some convincing to get Rickon to, to come out of of hiding here and, and to go with them. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't like it here. It's dark here and cold. I'm not afraid. I have to wait for father. You can wait with me, Bran said. You know, We'll wait together, you and me and our wolves, which is a, the way it should be. Yeah. Keep your keep your wolves close. Exactly. Right. Right. Um let's see here. Huh. Yeah, Mr. Lewin talks about being the third man that he savaged and, and he kinda says like if, if we don't lock him up and he keeps doing this, like the word left unspoken is that we may have to, you know, kill him. Brand kinda fills mm-hmm. in the blank there. Right. Uh, with his yeah. thought. Uh so anyways. Uh, it's it's Asha though who grins and says um, the boy's the lordling here because he kind of says like you know that they want to go um, they want to go wait in the tower that's where they want to go up, up in up in Maester Lewin's study and he's like I, I don't think so no way right but but uh, she reminds him that well hold on, hold on a second Bran is actually still in charge so actually we're gonna do whatever he says and so right throws that power back to him and uh, so they say the Maester's tower it is will you come Rick on his brother nodded. If Shaggy comes too, smart boy, right? Such a smart mm-hmm. boy. So, so they do. They head up. They head back up to uh, the Maester's study, 
if you will. Yeah. And this is where we get a little bit of world building as it talks about kind of like Maester Lewin's study. And um, and this is really like the first kind of, you know, you don't uh, just a, a more of an insight, right? Kind of, kind of the Maesters, you know, it says his his turret was cluttered, was was so cluttered that it seemed to Bran a wonder that he ever found anything. Tottering piles of books, covered tables and chairs, rows of stopped jars lined the shelves, candle stubs and uh, puddles of dried wax dotted the furniture. The bronze mirrorish lens tube set on a tripod by the terrace door. Star charts hung from the walls. Shadow maps lay scattered among the rushes, papers, quills, and pots of inks uh, were everywhere. And they were all spotted with droppings uh, from the ravens in the rafters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strident quarks uh, drifted down from above as Osha washed and cleaned and bandaged the maester's wound under Lewin's uh, uh, terse instruction. So, yeah. you know, his just imagine his, his study is just, you know, just stuff everywhere open books and and you know string and all this kind of stuff sounds sounds an awful lot like uh sir ezra's office i was gonna say it it, actually i would take a picture and have to have to post it like (laughs) i love this i mean it i mean as much as i want to be a hedge knight and just be out doing my thing i also want to be half maester as well i would love to have a little place to go back to and just have my study with all my papers and, and and my lens tube my my mirish lens tube that's a pretty cool mm-hmm. reference there and, and being able to see um the stars map them out and just be you know uh gathering more and more knowledge and, and learning because like when bran will ask him for some of the histories here maester lewin just can automatically boom start reciting some of this stuff about the children of the forest and things uh, which is really neat in, in in these histories he just has it all in his head and i love that i think that's really cool that he you can just turn to him and he's got it. Plus, he's running this. This he's running Winterfell and helping Bran navigate what he's going through. He's just a, he's he's very much, uh, I don't know, underappreciated. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, of all the maesters, he's. I mean, he and Marwyn like are the, like they're top notch. Just really good. Really like them. So. I mean, I think Pycelle does a pretty great job as well. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> sure. Good gravy. No, um, that's a joke. Um, yeah, he says, you know, I agree that it's odd that both of you boys dream the same dream. When you stop to consider it, it's only natural. You miss your Lord Father, and you know that he's a captive. Fear can fever a man's mind to give him queer thoughts. Rickon is too young to comprehend. Uh, then Rickon says, I'm four. Right. You know? <laughs> like, Matter of like, fact, like, I'm four. Yeah, so. I'm four, okay? Yeah. Back off. <laughs> yeah. You know... Uh, to, to Lewin's credit, though, right, he he is trying to give them reasons, and he's trying to help explain it away, because he doesn't know himself. And sometimes we think, like, the unknown is it scares us a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe as adults it scares us. But these kids, it's sort of like, I don't know, they, they, they it's it seems pretty simple to, to them. He showed up in our dreams. He said he's coming home. Um, he'll be here soon. I mean, like, it's just a matter of, it's a fact. So, all right. But, uh, okay. So, yeah. So then, so then this is, then we start getting a little bit of, uh, kind of like old, old history here. Um, you know, old, they start talking about the children of the forest. Um, you know, cause OSHA says, you know, some talking about dreams, such some are, some aren't. Uh, the children of the forest could tell you a thing or two about the dreaming. Uh, the children lived only in dreams, now dead and gone. Enough, that's enough. Now, you know, Maester Lewin's saying, like, you know, let's put, get the bandages on here. Um, 
Old Nan says the children knew the songs of the trees, that they could fly like birds and swim like fish and talk to the animals. She said that they made music so beautiful that it made you cry like a little baby just to hear it. And they did all of this with magic, Maester Lewin said. I wish they were here now. A spell would heal my arm less, uh, you know, less painfully, and they could talk to Shaggy Dog and tell him not to bite. Right. Um, so he says, you know, take a lesson, Bran. The man who trusts in spells is dueling with a glass sword, as the children did. Here, let me show you something. He stands roughly across the room, returns with a green jar in his good hand. Have a look at these, he says. He pulls the stopper out and shook out a handful of shiny black arrowheads. Bran picked one up. It's made of glass. Mm. You know, dragon glass, as Ocean names it. Yeah, obsidian. Yep. Mr. Lewin insisted. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, forged in the fires of the gods far below the earth. Um, this is mm-hmm. what the children used, right? They they didn't work with metal, uh, but they but they had this dragon glass to hunt with and, and, and use and stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really cool, yeah, that the, the man who would who would would fight with that um or that who uses magic would essentially be using this dragon glass and he kind of says that like, like what he's trying to say here is that um the children get beat they get killed they get destroyed they get pushed back and they get pushed back by uh let's get into some of the histories maybe it's important to read some of this too because he talks about the dawn age first and sort of how the children were there how there were no castles ca- castles or holds or cities um there were no men at all. Only the children of the forest dwelt in these lands that we now call the Seven Kingdoms, and that was the Dawn Age. Uh, they, they were a um, they were a people dark and beautiful, small of stature, no taller than children, even when grown to manhood. Uh, they lived in the depths of the woods and caves, crannogs, and secret tree towns. Um, slight as they were, the children were quick and graceful. Male and female hunted together with werewood bows and flying snares. Their gods were the gods of the forest, stream, and stone, the gods whose names are secret. Their wise men were called green seers uh, and carved strange faces in the werewoods to keep watch on the woods. How long the children reigned here or where they came came from, no man can know. So that's your Dawn Age reference. And uh, just, just this, is the, this is the time before the first men come across the arm. And, and if you think about Westeros as a map... So coming from Essos across into Westeros, there's what's known as like the Arm of Dorne, where it was once this maybe land bridge that uh, you, you could come across this desert sort of area and come in south and then work your way all the way north uh, in, in, in Westeros. And that's really how the first men kind of entered. Uh, and they came in on horses too, Sir Matt, which is interesting because the children were a little bit shocked that, that they had horses. You know, no, no horse had ever been seen on this side of the mm-hmm. Narrow Sea, which makes me think of the the Dothraki and how yeah. the horses shouldn't be crossing uh the sea unless there's a land bridge. <laughs> yeah. They cross on land. That's how they that's how they did it. That's how they're supposed to do it. So Yeah, I just like I I I, I like this line here um too. We're just uh not uh we're just talking about, you know, it says in place of swords they carried these blades of obsidian, which, you know, is the real reason they lost that they didn't have any way to actually combat men. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but then uh, OSHA says, and still do. And still do. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's, t- so moving in with their history a little bit here. Yeah, the the first men, the reason they'd have to go to battle is because the first men do appear on these horses. Mm-hmm. And 
they start to kind of take over, carve out holdfasts and farms, cut down the faces um, of, of the, the the trees, and they, the, they, they gave them to the fire, right? So the mm-hmm. children go to war with them. Um, right. It's said that the green seers use dark magic. Yeah, that's what they'd have to use because you know obsidian blades aren't aren't gonna aren't gonna do the trick, and they would certainly have they. I mean, they would have really no answer towards you know like mounted cavalry with you know with steel swords and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now here's here's an interesting line. So they used dark magic to make the seas rise and sweep away the land, shattering the arm, which we we know is that uh, the arm of Dorne, right? This land bridge that connected the two. But it was too late. To close the door, and I just have wrote to that, you know, wrote next to that, hold the door, All right? But anyways, um, so yeah, this this war kind of goes on and on uh, until finally they come to both races, um, the, the wise of both races prevailed, and the chiefs and the heroes of the first men uh, met the green seers and wood dancers amidst the weirwood groves of a small island in a great lake called uh, God's Eye. And we've we've talked about the God's Eye. It's still very, it's easy to find on the Westeros on the Westerosi map. And um, uh, Heron Hall is built right just just near it. Correct. I mean, um, mm-hmm. yeah, nor- north or west of it. Um, so yeah, this is where the pack kind of forms. These th- and and uh, they they the first men kind of agree that they're going to have the coastlands, the high plains, the bright meadows, um, the mountains and bogs. But the deep woods were to remain forever the children's, and no more werewoods were to be put to the axe anywhere in the realm. Uh, so the gods might bear witness to the signing. Every tree on the island was given a face, and afterwards the sacred order of green men was formed to keep watch over the Isle of Faces. So that's the reminder that this pact was made between the first men and uh, the, the children. So and and they they live up to that. So that the pack began four thousand years of friendship between men and children. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a, you know, so that they lived at peace. This was this was a, a good time. Um, in time, the first men even put aside the gods they had brought with them and took up the worship of the secret gods of the wood. And the signing of the pack ended the dawn age and began the age of heroes. So the start of the age of heroes. There's this peace between children and. Um, uh, and 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 first man. So I, I kind of wonder in the show that we're going to get, are we going to see some of uh, some of that? So maybe some of the. Is it going to start with with some piece or something? Are we going to see like like how? Probably. It, you know, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I don't. I think it's going to take place. I don't know. Do you think it's going to start with Children of Forest and the others? I don't think. I don't so. know. I I I really don't know. I mean, it, the the show is supposed to be called The Long Night, right? That's what what. Uh, George wanted it to be right, right. But if it's the age of heroes, it's kind of afterwards. So I don't know. I mean, we'll find out when we get to it, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, we will. I mean, it's because uh, now they've changed. What's what's the title of it going to be now? The like the the they said title. Blood Moon there for a while, and then I maybe like Project Blood Moon. It seems like they've gone back and forth a little bit on what it's actually going to be called. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the long night uh, it occurred during the Age of Heroes, approximately eight thousand years before Aegon's conquest, uh, in the midst of a great winter that lasted for years. So I'm thinking that's why I was thinking if it's the Age of Heroes, if that's when the long night kind of occurs, then perhaps, perhaps we 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 don't have to start with the pack, 
but maybe you start with um or you just you it's just natural to see uh groups going into the forest and meeting with the children of the forest there's a there's a it's this time of peace maybe they go in there and they seek wisdom or they um they need a potion or they need some guidance perhaps they go to the children or they go to those old gods if some of these first men had sort of given up worship of their old gods and and uh, or the gods that they brought with them and then turned to worshiping uh the gods of the forest stream right and earth then maybe we'd see some of that you just you just really that's a long it's a huge time period you got four thousand years of peace between them uh and then i was even thinking it's coming up here in just a moment the idea that you're gonna you're gonna have an andal invasion i think we might we could see a couple season seasons if you wanted to of like just these hundreds of kingdoms kind of warring uh, the first men, if you will. And then you have an Andal invasion because they take over. So, but I don't know. I was just speculating. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then Bran, uh, his fist curled around the shiny black arrowhead, but the children of the forest are all gone now, you said. And then uh, Asha says, here they are. Here they are, right? Um, north of the wall, things are different. That's where the children went, and the giants, uh, and the other old races. So she's yeah. saying, "Yeah, they're 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 still around." And Maester Lewin kind of scolds her, like, "Hey, we're tr- we're treating you pretty pretty well, right? And well, don't, <laughs> don't don't be filling these <laughs> boys' heads with with all this craziness." Um, but uh, but then Bram wants to know. You tell me. He, he's like, "Tell me where they went. I want to know." Me too, Rickon said. Uh, and then Lewin says, oh, very well. So uh, as the kingdoms of the first men held sway, the pack endured all through the age of heroes and the long night and the birth of the seven kingdoms. Yet finally there came a time many centuries later when other peoples crossed the narrow sea. The Andals were the first, a race of tall, fair-haired warriors who came with steel and fire and the seven-pointed star of the new gods painted on their chest. The wars lasted hundreds of years, but in the end, the six southern kingdoms all fell before them. Only here, uh, where the king in the north threw back every army that tried to cross the neck, did the rule of the first men endure. And it's also like the way the Andals win, too. We've, we've read up on this, Sir Matt and I have, that it was more so to keep their rule, they intermarried. They made sure that they made marriage alliances and stuff and mixed the blood. So that way you wouldn't have these different factions of that kind of held out against them. Like the mountain clans over in the Vale, they didn't. They're kind of known for, for being strong descendants of the First Men and not mixing and not marrying in with the Andals. So that'll be interesting if that comes up in the show. All right. Yeah, so the Andals burnt out the Weirwood Groves, hacked down the faces. Um, mm and the children fled north, right? And this is this is the so as as he says that they they fled north, and uh, summer summer howls, summer howls, and then Shaggy Dog also bounds up and and lets in a howl there too. They know something's coming, mm-hmm. right? So they know that this raven is coming uh, with uh, with dark news, you know, dark words. Hey, dark words, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, summer began to howl. Um, it's coming, he whispered with a certain despair. He had known since last night, since the crow had led him down into the crypts of Winterfell. Uh, the crow, he's thinking the three-eyed crow. 
The howling stopped as suddenly as it had begun. Summer padded, uh, padded across the floor towards Shaggy Dog and began to lick at a mat of bloody fur on the back of his brother's neck. From the window came a flutter of wings. The raven lands on the gray stone still, opening its beak and giving a harsh, uh, rococcus rattle of distress. Rickon began to cry. His arrowheads fell from his hand one by one and clattered on the floor. Bran pulled him close and hugged him. Mason, Lu- Mason Maester Lewin stared at the black bird as if it were a scorpion with feathers. He rose slow as a sleepwalker and moved to the window. Um, you know, he ends up t- uh, taking the, the letter from its leg. You know, what is it? Uh, you know what it is, boy, Osha said, uh, not unkindly. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. My yeah. lords, he said to the sons in a voice gone, hoarse and shrunken, we shall need to find a stone carver who know who knew his likeness well. Yeah. Yeah. So news that their that their father has been killed and they're gonna have to create that that statue. So Ah They knew it. But that, that's where I want I want to pick up with Maester Lewin that very night and I wanna know what he was thinking. Right? What what are his thoughts? His secret thoughts that he's not gonna share with with the rest of them, like, what is he worried about? Does he does he believe in any of this stuff? I mean, it's just it's crazy. Too much of a coincidence there. These boys have this dream the night before that their father was going to be there in the crypts, and then they get news of it that very same day. Just just too much, too much. Yeah, I mean, I don't think. I mean, you know, he's. I mean, he's probably. I mean, in his mind, he's he's thinking these are young boys. They're just you know they're scared. He's just trying to calm them down. You know, keep the peace. Yeah, but I gotta imagine he's. He, I mean, any person I think would think that's odd. Any of us as readers would say, "Well, that's odd. That's strange." So, well, you know, when it's just Bran having the dream, but then when it's Bran and Rickon, okay, now it's getting yeah kind of creepy. Yeah, which is why I said, that's why I said that. You know, is that Maester Lewin right. right after this chapter? That's too much, too too many things to be coincidence. I mean, so much. It's not just like that. Rickon said he had a dream, the same as Bran. He he so much believed it that he went down into the crypts uh, and was waiting. So that's just odd. That's just odd. And so you wonder what he what he would be thinking, because that's what we as readers are thinking, like, oh, there's more. There's something going on here. There's something happening. And for him to be a learned man, uh, and I know he's probably got years of the Citadel influencing him, just thinking they're trying to live in a world without magic and out the without these green dreams and these influences and stuff, um, which is hinted at when they talk about Maester Eamon, you know, the reason why he was left to kind of rot if you will, up at the, uh, uh, up at with the Night's Watch, and why he wasn't ever called on for counsel and stuff is because they didn't want any, you know, any, any, they they were happy living in a world where dragons weren't around and magic and powers seemed to be diminished and uh, people turned to them for wisdom and knowledge. So the Maesters are interesting. There's a lot of theories out there about about the Maesters. So, yeah, but all right. Um, so there we go. There's there's the chapter. Um. We kind of went over. Uh, we had some interesting, cool connections to the histories and uh, to Simeon uh, Star Eyes, and and we're learning more about the children there, the Dawn Age into the Age of Heroes, uh, which is which is really neat. So, if you ever want more information on those two ages, uh, A World of Ice and Fire, that companion book that we started the podcast off with, has has some good in- mm-hmm. information there. So, a little, little so a few more details, I guess, if you will. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, Sir Ezra, we have an amazing raven uh, to get through here. Yeah. Um, this is from Sir Chris uh, of House uh, Strovel. Strovel. 
Um, he says, hey, guys, my early summer reread of The Song of Ice and Fire was spurred by an offhand thought I had while watching season eight. What percentage of characters who have appeared on this show did not survive this show? So I did my reread and kept a spreadsheet. Totally nerded out. It's attached uh, for your perusal. <laughs> and he says, each of the seven kingdoms gets its own sheet. The Iron Islands gets a separate sheet from the north. The Crown Land gets a sheet, as does the Wall, the Free Cities, the Dothraki slash Slaver's Bay. Twelve sheets in all I included. Characters who were left alive at the start of the books. Uh, he says, sorry, John Aaron or born during the books, any named characters, a few characters who don't get named but play a notable role in a scene. There's almost 1,600 characters. About 25% of them are dead, but I have almost 60% of them listed as unknown. So he says, now for the qualifiers. This is by the book, not the show. So Varys, uh, he has as Miss sandy how we how we pronounce it you know like Mm -hmm. two separate words Mm -hmm. um and a whole bunch of other folks are still alive here there's going to be errors as you find out uh as you find and point out will be appreciated he has uh, a a column for like a live slash unknown status three resurrected characters are all uh counted in the dead column uh john cat and barrack undoubtedly some folks will be on the wrong sheet um you know, he says, don't say I never gave in, gave you anything or burdened you <laughs> with anything more correctly. First of all, uh, thank you so much for this. Um, I have it pulled up here. This um, this thing is pretty. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to see if I can because uh, I, I right now I have it in Excel format. So I th- I'm going to see if I can transfer it over to a Google Sheets and then possibly, you know, share it on like our Patreon page since we can share docs and stuff there. Yeah. Um, this thing is amazing. And yeah. basically what it is, is it, it's a it's a huge uh, Excel spreadsheet and he has so it's, it's characters that we meet and kind of what their status is. Are they alive or dead? So here he has, um, you know, you go to the crown lands here and there are in the crown lands. There are one hundred and sixty five characters that like at least get a name. Right in the, in the books. I mean, that, that includes that includes characters like. Um, you know, he's got like guys, uh, you know, people who are people who just, you know, like somebody who's Kyle, who was a mummer, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Who's a brotherhood without banners archer. Yeah. You know, what's what's his status? Um, you know, up here he's got, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, inc- it's, inc- it's insane. So he has, um, you know, like uh, Robert Brathian. Then he has a column for, he has those who killed by a boar. Then he's in the dead category. So. There are he has 66 people listed as dead. These are characters we meet throughout the series in just the crown lands that have a name, you know, and we know that they're dead. And he's got living 39 unknown 58. So somebody who so some people who he has listed as unknown here, I think, are down here kind of towards the bottom. A lot of guys with, um, you know, Brotherhood Without Banners, the Mad Huntsman, Melly, um, Mudge, uh, Merit of Mootentown. Uh, and so he has that for each of the areas. I mean, it is it is insane. Uh, he has Catelyn Tully Stark killed by, and he just has a red wedding uh, yeah. listed as. Uh, so I mean, it's 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 an enormous spreadsheet. It is really really well done. Um, it is very well put together. I cannot imagine the amount of time that this would have taken. You would have at least had to read the books, and then every time you meet a character, put this mm-hmm. in. Yep, it's it's really good. Like it's really really good. Yeah, and, and put it in by region. And what's hard is is sometimes you meet 
characters from a region, but they're in a different region when you meet them, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to kind of distinguish there. <laughs> okay, he has Cal Drogo killed by Danny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so so this is something I've said before. I'm really glad that we have this spreadsheet. This is awesome. So Book of the Dead, uh, as it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, he has around 1,500 characters. 1,500 from Dorne, uh, as you said, all the different regions to the Dothraki Sea. And it's like 900 of those characters unknown. You know, they're just mentioned once and we don't know whether they died or they lived or whatever. They're just mentioned briefly. Um that's amazing. That's amazing that you have that yeah. many characters that you could go back and kind of either, you know, bring back up or finish off, tie off the story to. It's just, it's crazy. That's why it's so neat that he has just just common folk passing by who get a name. They get a name in the in, in the story. They're described. Yeah, I think he named. also has it. I think he has it broken down. Looks like he almost has it maybe broken down by book as well. Or he has some other kind of category here. Oh, it's, it's house. Oh, he has it by houses. Okay, because uh, and it's and it's listed. Uh, we're gonna have to share this because this is amazing, so everyone can take a look. But it, it looks like it's it's listed by where you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, Robert Rathian from the uh, well, technically he's from. Well, I guess you could count him as either the Stormlands or or Dorn, but a lot of other other characters. It's kind of like where they're where they're from. So even though like. Even though Catelyn Tully Stark dies at the Red Wedding, she's listed as a member of the North. Yeah. Right, right, right. Man. That's it. This is, yeah, this is incredible. It's huge. It's, an, it's, a, it's a great resource. Trust me, we're going to be using it because it, it makes it easy to uh, easy to find out. Yeah, you can just go through some in the west in the, in the Westerlands, and you look up like all of these men who are Lannister bannermen, uh, and who they were killed by, and uh, you know, so some a lot of them it's it's like they're unfinished. They're just referenced as being in the tent around a war council, but we we never really know what what comes of them. So, um, <laughs> Sir Lambert Turnberry, <laughs> Lannister soldier, right? I mean. Uh, and then this is why it, it, it gets to be overwhelming. You're just sort of like, what? I mean, you've got Lannister guards in the Hands Tower. You've got uh, Bannermen, uh, Brave Companions. You've got Kevin's men, Sir, Sir Kevin's men. You've got uh, all of them with him. So, Lord, yeah, that's, that's insane. This is great. This is awesome. This is so, Sir Chris, this is awesome, man. I... I yeah. So yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna convert this over to a uh, like a Google Drive doc so we can share it on our Patreon, mm-hmm. um, and so that people can can look at it. And yeah, this is great. This is this is an amazing amazing resource. Uh, please send us a message with how long it took you to do this. We just had to listen every time a character's listen. All right, just insert 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 insert. Then what ends up happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again there. So, Cool Beans, let's move over here to uh, Man the Wall. And as we, as Sir Matt just said, we'll, we'll kind of maybe share. That, that's the type of stuff we, we share on uh, Patreon or over in the Facebook group or what have you for, for folks to kind of look at resources and things, uh, which, which is pretty neat. So that, that's one of the perks to uh, helping us man the wall. Uh, we are currently doing the Tourney at Hall series. Uh, I believe 
maybe by the time this episode is up, you'll have the um, the musing that we did on the on the Blue Roses on the Winter Rose uh, for that series. And the next month, we're covering part three of the Heron Hall series, looking at Liana's abduction and and things like that, and and sort of the aftermath of the tourney and what took place there. So go check that out. Uh, also, I've been I've kind of continued working on. Um, Sir Matt got me fired up a couple weeks ago just to get back into that uh, A Feast with Dragons and so I've went back to my, my Green uh, green Dreams document and my sort of manifesto of, of ideas and theories and things that, that I'm working on so um, I will probably be sharing a few of those because I was doing some research today just in some of these characters that, that have come up in this, in this chapter and some of these uh, Kings of Winter and some of the influences that they have and they're also referenced later on in the stories, too. And why are they referenced? And uh, So I might be doing some more either Black Council or Green Dreams over there on Patreon. So definitely go go check that out if you'd like to. And, uh, again, you can always help us out by leaving a review on iTunes. Uh, those are definitely helpful. We really appreciate that. Joining the Facebook group, just participating. You know, we, uh, uh, we're talking about Lady Liz and just it's cool. I mean, just to see whether it's a meme, uh, something that makes you laugh or, you know, uh, pulling a quote from uh, I, I love just being able, when I find something in the book and we can just pull it and uh, uh, put it up there for, for discussion. I did that probably a few months ago before we went into the TV show and I might go back to that just finding stuff that made me I really don't have any thought on it but it's it's I, I underline those those things um, that uh, like the, like the Simeon Star Eyes thing was, was kind of cool. It's something you could you could bracket and say what does this mean you know does it mean we're really gonna see Arya? get that type of weapon later on or is it another character who's going to get it uh we, you know sir matt and i've been talking about the differences between book and show and, and how it's all going to play out in the book so uh, yeah yeah so there's all that so yeah head over to uh, patreon.com forward slash bend the knee or head over to the facebook group and uh and join up there or just send us a raven all right. Well, uh, Sir Ezra, I think it's time to say farewell. We want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we'll be discussing Chapter 67, Sansa 6. Yeah. Uh, if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. We will see you in a week, and remember that winter is coming.